20th Century Fox presents Two Men on Opposite Sides of the Law. Ryan O'Neill, Bruce Dern, and between them, Isabella Johnny. Three loners playing a ruthless game none of them could afford to lose in The Driver. Ryan O'Neill is the driver. My line of work is kind of hard to come by. His reputation, the best wheel man in the city. Did you ever get caught on one of your jobs? Hasn't happened yet. Bruce Dern is the detective. I'm very good at what I do. His reputation, the toughest cop in the city. You saw the man who was driving the car, yet you didn't identify him. Do you got a reason? I just don't like you. You get out of my town because you go out on one more job and I'm gonna nail you. You might be getting too big. Two men driven by their need to prove they were the best. To them, the money, the law, even their lives no longer counted. You don't care about the money. Might even send it to him. Who was best was all that mattered. And we've got the winning run on first. You've been set up, you know. To break the cop, the driver was willing to risk it all. To break the driver, the cop was willing to break the law. Go ahead, throw it! It'll cost you two years. Ryan O'Neill, Bruce Dern, Isabella Johnny, the driver. A ruthless game between two legends. And oh, I also watched it in full screen. I'm an idiot. Oh, you're so dumb. I put, I put it, it was dark when I first put it in, and I all I did I saw writing on the top, so all I, I flipped. It, oh, and there was no writing on the back. I'm like, that oh, means it's full a screen. But then now I took it out today, and it said side A is full screen. Side that B. was. I'm like, god damn it! I've done everything wrong. <laughs> everything I do is yeah, wrong. Yeah, that was you. You're. You're a terrible person. I'm so bad. You're a terrible person. <laughs> Never watch movies in full screen I, unless I you have to. I know. I should have said something. Why is this in full screen? You man? should have called me immediately. <laughs> it's just terrible. Immediately. Dude, this is in full screen. <laughs> question mark, question mark, exclamation point, exclamation point, <laughs> ampersand, dollar sign. And I would have just appeared at your apartment. <laughs> like Knock, knock. You just... Come over, hit the button, flip the disc, and leave. Don't say a word. Uh, uh, all right. Are we going? Well, we're going. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We are, we've are we returned from Comic-Con. We're back. We're back. Back to L.A. It's a long walk back from yeah. San Diego. I don't know why we didn't just get get a bus, yeah, some, a train. A bu- yeah. You so have he... seven cars. Yeah. <laughs> One for each day of the week. I wanted to walk. I wanted to breathe the air with the people. Yeah. And, uh, Southern California air. You know, when we're up in that glass tower mm-hmm. at Comic-Con, you just, you know, you're separated. So I yeah. wanted to be amongst my people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just take a leisurely stroll back to L.A. Yeah. And, I mean, it was, we took all the safety precautions. Like, I was warm in the the tower because the bulletproof vest is definitely mm-hmm. just weighs you down. Yeah. And keeps you insulated. And I mean, of course, we wore the vests 
on our walks. Yeah. You know, we don't know who's coming after us. Oh, yeah. Well, and you drove the Pope Mobile mm-hmm. at like three miles an hour right next to me. Yeah. Yeah. While you I in- walk. You insisted to walk. Yeah. And of course, we can't be too far apart from each other. Right. When we're on show, we're, yeah. when we're doing show business. Yeah. Exactly. Not show business, but show show business business about show business yeah yeah our yes the second one's with a z <laughs> um well it's great to be back in the studio yes. i've been getting texts and emails though by the way our clueless episode which is on the website right now it's on fire right now too. people uh it's just a pleasure having our evp of historical accuracy Lindsay, on board wasn't it it was just i i meant to mention it last ep- yeah. episode and uh, just so glad to have her around. It was a great, great energy, great participation. She's definitely smarter than both of us put together. Oh yeah, that's, by a mile. Yeah. So I mean, maybe we should, maybe we can get her under contract to do her own show. I think we're working out. A, our legal teams are working out a separate contract. Yeah. For an on-air, you know, on, to become an on-air talent. On-air so talent. That's, yeah. We're negotiating. Mm-hmm. We have it's under discussions. It may be. Uh, not it certainly won't be every week. I don't I mean, think we could handle her intelligence every week. No, so. th- it would become her show. We yeah. would we would be booed out of the show <laughs> yeah. by by the fans. We would have to ask permission to to come on Mike, and she would just say, <laughs> yeah, no. she's like, no, I got this, idiots." <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, it was all such a pleasure having her on. Um, I know we'll have her on soon. Again. Yeah, I think I think we've got a couple coming up that she uh, might be might uh, rejoin us for. Maybe. And, and in general, I think we are going to have start having some other special guests once in a while. And, That'd be fun. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's coming down the pipe. Okay. Do you think maybe Quick Change? Will we do Quick Change? And maybe she'll be... The movie? Quick yeah. Change? Well, it's on the list. Well, all right. Yeah. One of those Bill Murray classics going to sneak up on us again. <laughs> maybe it'll be Quick Change. Yeah. We, uh, Bill, Bill will be back. Don't, don't you worry about yeah. that. Anyway, what are we doing now? Well, welcome back to the show, guys. This is Reconcinimation, a podcast where we talk about our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s and look back at uh, how they hold up today from a, from a modern perspective. That's right. That, that's it. I just checked my notes. That's our show. <laughs> that's, that's what we do. Uh, um, I'm David Munchak. And I'm John Diner. And uh, we... So there's a couple... There's a couple things going on here this weekend. Okay. We are uh, fresh out of the theater, the movie theater, <laughs> having seen Quentin Tarantino's newest film, his ninth film, yeah, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And it's kind of fitting that we happen to pick The Driver as the movie to watch, or yes. the movie to review this week, at the same time that we saw that movie. Yeah, they seem very uh, in the same... Uh, what? Same, what is that? Same kind, same of, kind of world. World. Um, you know, Tarantino has said previously the driver is one of his favorite films. Mm-hmm. He's had, um, you know, elements of it in, in certain shots from like Pulp Fiction and some of his other films. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Dern happens yeah. to be in both movies. Yeah. How about that? And everybody knows how much we love our best friend. Kurt Russell, who is in yeah. Once Upon a Time. That was a pleasure. That was a, I didn't know much about, like, I stayed away from the trailer. I stayed away from the news about it. I didn't know who was in it, you know? So that was always a, that was a nice surprise. Yeah, that was. Kurt. Me, me too. I saw All I saw was the poster, and I saw the first trailer, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't think gave really, now having seen it, it really didn't give anything away. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, what did you think? What, what were your thoughts about the movie? I mean, I, I thought it was pretty good. A little long, 
a little long. But then, the things that were happening on screen that weren't driving shots and traveling <laughs> shots uh, is great. And very engaging. A lot of fun. I'm not a huge L.A. file or 60s a file or 60s a file. 60s a file. Um, but obviously, like this hits a very particular, um, you know, space in the brain for Tarantino. Yeah. It's, this is basically his honoring of those things yeah la 60s la hollywood as usual yeah. uh and and just had some of the best performances i've seen in all year yeah it's it's definitely his love letter to 1960s la to that the world of television yeah you know and media in that time period mm-hmm. and a love letter to sharon tate yeah you know we'll we will i'm let's not, not sure if all away. of you listeners have seen the movie so we're not going to give any plot points away but uh i really i really really enjoyed the movie i i really loved it a lot it was uh i think a more of a return to form for tarantino mm-hmm. i wasn't as into some of his more recent movies I could see that. Yeah, like the concept of some of them, but not the not the full execution. Yes. Um, great performances. If you like Leo or Brad Pitt uh, or Margot Robbie, like you definitely need to see it. Yeah, you're in for a treat. Yeah. So if you're listening to us, you were probably gearing up to see this movie. So get there if you haven't done it already. Come on. Or wait till it comes out on video and no. rent it from Videotech. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to rent it from anywhere, rent it from Videotech. And always cool. One of the you know favorite things in uh, Tarantino films is his ability to uh, bring some old faces back to the forefront. Right. Great to see Nicholas Hammond, who was mm-hmm. Spider Man in the nineteen seventies. Right. Uh, James Remar for a minute. Martin Covey. Yeah. Uh, who's ha- having his own return to form with uh, Cobra Kai as well. Okay. Yeah. Who Gulliger from. Wow. Who that's showed right. up on Reconsinimation in our Return of the Living Dead episode. That's right. Uh, great, a lot of great people. Yeah. Every shot, if there's a person in it, it's probably someone you should recognize. <laughs> like, literally, anyone in the background or any secondary character, tertiary character, yeah. is someone that Tarantino probably handpicked and get and called to say, come be in my movie. Oh, yeah. So, uh, if you love that shit, you're going to have a lot of fun with yeah. this one. It's a fun. It's a it's a slow paced film. Yeah. So you know, go in there, ready to to sit down. Don't for a bring while. a soda in there, because <laughs> you don't want to leave in the middle of this. Yeah. Thing. And there are a lot of driving shots. That's uh, for sure. Yeah. David was David was really struggling with that. You don't have to have so many. You don't have to have so many. We know the going point somewhere. is he's made the point. Like after the thirtieth one, I get it. Mm-hmm. Traveling. Motion, yeah, fluidity, yeah, getting to a, des- a new destination that isn't really anything. Whatever he was trying to say, he, yeah, he hit you over the head with it. But the best part really is is Kurt Russell. Let's just be honest; he's uh, <laughs> I mean, amazing in everything he does, he and he continues it every time. He elevates every movie. Yeah. So, too bad. Spoiler alert: He's not in The Driver, which is the movie we're talking about. No, today. he's not in The Driver. Could have been. Should he be? Yeah. 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 But yes, we are here to talk about The Driver, uh, Walter Hill's neo-noir film from mm-hmm. 1978. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of, this actually came out on the same exact day as Animal House. 
Really? So same in day. the re the in the reconsideration world, uh-huh. we haven't even left that day. Holy cow! From last same episode. day, same day. Wow, that was unintentional as well. No, I, I'm I'm just gonna we're just gonna cover movies from that day. What was <laughs> every movie? Every, every week is that, just movies from that day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> um, but yeah, this was uh, a freaking awesome movie. <laughs> We're saying it right at the top. It is Love a great it. film. It's really good. Uh, I didn't catch on to this movie until kind of recently. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't readily available. It wasn't highly recommended through you know through the eighties and nineties and into the two thousands. It didn't have a really strong reputation. But I think as home video, you know, the DVD world exploded in the later two thousands. That. Yeah. Uh, it was rediscovered and then I started hearing more about it mm-hmm. and I started getting in, into more of Walter Hill's earlier stuff mm-hmm. and uh, I watched it I want to say four years ago was the first time I saw it well and I I loved it watched it in the middle of the night I mm-hmm. put it on at like midnight mm-hmm. and it's great because it's not a long movie no so it's so long middle of the night is another perfect time to watch that movie yeah yeah it belongs it belongs at night it belongs to the night <laughs> i wouldn't have a daytime screening of this no 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 this and oh, double feature ready this mm-hmm. and gremlins what do you think midnight screening thematically opposed from each other <laughs> nothing to do with each other <laughs> but man what a what a fun time at the movies <laughs> That's that would probably be the first movie I'd pair it with. <laughs> the dri- right dri- off the <laughs> the driver and Gremlins. Oh my god! Your heart will be racing throughout. The similarities are really, <laughs> you know, it, they're they're strong. I think Billy drives a pickup truck in that in that movie. That's the connection. Yeah. It it could be a Chevy C10. Well, you see him driving in the background in town in yeah. Gremlins. Driver just kind of. <laughs> rolls through yeah no yeah i i literally had no awareness of this film so this was fun for me i get to uh, experience something new for the first time without having even i didn't i didn't even know what your opinion on it was so uh, did you know like who was in it or anything about it i knew right i i like yeah i knew ryan o'neill was in it i knew it was basically a like a car chase movie like a cops and a cop and criminal kind of mm-hmm. cat and mouse uh, car movie. Mm-hmm. That's all I really knew. Yeah, and it's from the seventies, so I knew it was going to be real. It was going to be gritty and real. Seventies gritty, <laughs> but not so gritty. No, I think not, it's not the grittiest. No, which it's, I think I like. Yeah, if it got grittier, I don't know if I'd enjoy it too much. I like not that this is like a lighthearted film or anything. It's just it's very simple. Like I think it's mm-hmm. very straightforward about what it is and what they're trying to show you. Um, and it it does it effectively. Everything is done so well. Yeah. Uh, in terms of what is shot, how it's presented, and you don't need a lot of talking and like to explain everything. Every, all the motivations are really clear for everybody. It's a lot of fun and great character work from yeah. uh, certain certain folks. It's easy to overcomplicate films like this. I think that's what you see a lot in modern action stuff. Yeah. That it's they just had layer upon layer upon layer that's really not necessary to the core of the story. Mm-hmm. And you don't need, you know, three or four twists and turns in, in, in these movies to like keep the audience hooked. Yeah. Like you keep your story straightforward. 
and the audience will be engaged. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this movie comes out kind of towards the end of my favorite New Hollywood. The New Hollywood. New Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, it's right at the late seventies, so it's it's essentially peaked. It's still pretty high, you know, you know, up, but we're starting, the, we're starting to go down the other side of the hill. Mm-hmm. What was the absolute peak of New Hollywood? Would you say? Well, like things changed after apex. Star Wars. Oh, okay. Star Wars was the turning point of of. Oh yeah, money. Right. Let's. <laughs> if this is a business, yeah. let's let's really focus. On yeah. It. We can make a ton of money. Yeah. I mean, it started with you know, Godfather was a huge hit, mm-hmm. but that's certainly like a core thing of new Hollywood. Yeah. And then jaws came out mm. and surpassed that mm-hmm. and open, you know, kind of opened the door of a blockbuster entertainment kind of movie. As we talked about in our jaws episode back mm-hmm. in year one, mm-hmm. Don't forget. And then star Wars following right on the heels of jaws really show the entertainment value and how much how much you can do money wise. Right. So that's sort of the 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 hinge and the changing point. Uh not the hinge, but the turning point for the uh for New Hollywood. Got it. Okay. So this is kind of right after that. Um and yeah, it, it's still like the popularity of a Steve McQueen is also kind of on its way down. Like his his movies were you know doing okay, but not the numbers they were doing in the through the sixties and and into into the early seventies. So, mm-hmm. I think if this um, I don't know, it's just an interesting time for this movie to come out and and kind of the way it was received and perceived by an audience uh, at the time. Because uh, so, this fits along. This fits with those 60s style movies, yeah, right? Like, yeah. This is definitely like a throwback kind of thing. Yeah. Not something set late 70s audiences are watching, right? Yeah. Um, and we're going to talk about the connections, like kind of the path of how this movie happened. Mm-hmm. But, but first I want to talk about Walter Hill. Who's Walter Hill? Walter Hill we mentioned in our Alien episode. We sure did. Uh, as one of the writers and producers on that. Mm-hmm. But uh, he was a he was a uh, born in Southern California. He his, was highly influenced by his father and grandfather who worked on like an oil derrick and uh, an assembly line for huh. uh, for uh, aircraft carriers. Oh, okay. And I think they were like men's men. Blue collar men's Blue men. Blue collar, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which you can see in all of his films are mm-hmm. like average, not average, but real g- gritty people <laughs> right yeah people who have calluses on their hands people yeah. who have, who struggle through the american dream people who work people who work for a living yeah don't call me mister that's my dad yeah i don't i don't call him anything don't call me sir i work for a living right isn't that the phrase yeah yeah <laughs> um he broke in the business and uh started out as a second ad on bullet Oh, John, let's back up. What's oh, a, yeah. what's a second AD for a second our non-film ass- yeah. uh, savvy people? A second assistant director. It's part of the director's team. There's it's really whole, kind of the producer's team. There's but, a team. Yeah, there's a whole team of people. Look at this. And what a second AD does, <laughs> at least these days, I'm I'm not totally sure if it was exactly the same. It has to have had changed. To, yeah, I mean, it had to be fairly different. Yeah. But he says that all he did was basically write time cards and set and set background. <laughs> oh, yeah, which is kind of still true. Yeah, but they do a hell of a lot more now. Of course, yeah. Um, 
So he worked on uh, the Thomas Crown Affair and mm-hmm. Bullet, both of which Dang. starred Steve McQueen. Yeah. Um, so I don't, you know, and I, I'm assuming he got began some kind of relationship with McQueen because they kind of they kind of McQueen kind of comes and goes throughout Walter Hill's career through the 70s mm-hmm. uh, before he he passed away. Um, while he was so he always viewed being an AD as his day job. Mm-hmm. And he would write like all night and on the weekends. He would just write and write and write. Um, he started writing a few different projects that didn't go anywhere, but he ended up writing a, a film called Hickey and Boggs, mm-hmm. which I believe Warner Brothers took over. And the actor Robert Culp ended up directing it for as a as a vehicle for himself and Bill Cosby. Oh, uh, and that was completely not the version that Walter Hill wanted to make. Oh. So, but anyway, he, uh, after kind of a negative experience with that, he kept going. He wrote, he ended up writing really successful films. He wrote The Getaway hey. with for Sam Peckinpah. Yeah. It was actually, he wrote The Getaway with Peter Bogdanovich as the director, and then Bog, Steve McQueen fired Bogdanovich. Oh. <laughs> and uh, brought in Peckinpah, but he kept Walter Hill. Oh. Partially because they had had that prior relationship, and I think there was a little bit of a trust there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Getaway was a su- big successful film for Walter Hill. He wrote The Macintosh Man, which wasn't as successful f- for uh, Paul Newman and, and John Huston. Mm-hmm. Uh, stayed with Paul Newman, wrote The Drowning Pool, which was a sequel to Harper, one of his detective films of the 60s. Mm. Uh, the Thief Who Came In to Dinner. And that kind of all led to him finally being able to direct his first movie, which was called Hard Times. Hard Times. Hard Times, starring Charles Bronson, your favorite. One of mine. One of, <laughs> One of my many favorites. <laughs> and James Coburn. Oh. Uh, and during that movie is where he, he started a relationship with Lawrence Gordon, who ended up his partner forever, it seems like. Producing partner? Yeah, producing yeah. partner. Right, yeah. They formed Brandywine later, and that's who made. They made, you know, they had written Alien and produced all the Alien movies. Right, 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 right. Uh, it. And they have some kind of ownership of the franchise. Uh, thank you for setting me straight on that. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Walter Hill's stories are always. He was very fascinated with westerns, mm-hmm. and he's even admitted most of his movies are westerns. Even if they're not set in the West, right? It's a like the driver is a, is yes. essentially a Western. Absolutely. Um, you know he's and he's even referred to as the as cowboy. That's the right. The, the the policeman. Yeah, calls him. But cowboy. it's the outlaw, the sheriff. It's yeah. you know a cat and mouse game, and mm-hmm. um, but all of his movies are kind of have that tone. Uh, he his. And another thing, a, a part of his style, as we talked about, that worked so well for this movie mm-hmm. is keeping his story and his characters very straightforward and very simple mm-hmm. and very grounded. Mm-hmm. And this, the driver is the most, I would say the most extreme version of it. Of keep of that? Of, of, of keeping it so simple? Of keeping it simple. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, the, there's not a lot of extra baggage. No, nothing, not at all. Nothing I mean, it's, periphery. it's really bare bones. Right. As a story structure and, and, you know, a beat structure. Mm -hmm. It's like we get 
A to B to C to D, mm-hmm. and that's it. We're not zigzagging to G and back to C, and you know. Yeah, no weird subplots going on. No. Not weird, or not weird, but you know. He didn't even believe in having a backstory for these characters. Yeah, he felt like you didn't. Um, anything you needed to know about the characters, about what they're thinking, you would learn by the choices they make and the and anything they say. Like that, that's telling you. You don't need. Yeah. You don't need to know. I don't know if the the actors came up with oftentimes actors will come up with backstories on their own for themselves, yeah. and I'm not sure if these guys did or not. Mm-hmm. But uh, I I think for this, yeah, you don't really need to know what drives the detective to be the way he is, right? And what drives the driver, right? To uh... well, you're and you're pointing out that these characters don't have names in terms of or proper names. Yeah, you know, we don't we don't know what the first and last name of anybody yeah. is. Talk so. about bare bones yeah they don't even have names so they just become like their own archetype for the for the film this is who they are yeah i mean one of the reactions was that these aren't these aren't characters they're just symbols they just represent a type of character rather than being a character right well like and their their description is their their function you know he's the driver he's the detective she's the connection you know um and she, the other the, the other woman is the player mm-hmm. like they that's the function they serve so it's, yeah. it's, it is it's, a, it's like almost like a program of this is how uh this character or program functions and this is how they all interact with each other yeah um yeah it's neat <laughs> so he he's basically writing this and the warriors at the same time oh yeah yeah warriors the Another badass movie. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that would be a better pairing with Gremlins. <laughs> Warriors and Gremlins. That would be a better Actually, pairing. Because <laughs> be the Gremlins are the... Yeah. Um, it's financed by EMI Films out of, uh, out of, uh, out of England, who were, who were starting an investment company who was, who was getting involved in a lot of American films. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the cast. Yeah. Steve McQueen... Should have been in this. Do you think so? Or isn't this the, his type of film? It's completely his type of film. <laughs> yeah. So, obviously, Bullet was a major influence for this movie. Uh-huh. I mean, this is like this is like Bullet's. I don't know, like like younger brother, like younger brother <laughs> or cousin or something. Yeah, you a know? spiritual sequel, maybe yeah. in a sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could definitely see this existing in. Yeah. Like this is L.A. and Bullet takes place in San Francisco, and that's all happening at the same time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Bullet has one of is one of the most famous car has one of the most famous car chase sequences in movie history. Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't seen it, check it out. Check out the movie as a whole, but at least check out a clip of that car chase. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, it is nineteen. That was nineteen sixty seven, sixty eight. That so. If you're comparing to the Fast and the Furious, then right. no, shut the fuck up. No, this is very specific. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's still engaging and thrilling. You know, yeah, even for what it is. Oh yeah, it's the tension and and again, it's so so much more minimalistic. But mm-hmm. um, just the you know the the motions of that scene are really intense and mm-hmm. it's it's fantastic. Yeah, and it was shot differently because they shot part of what he was fascinated him was he was the way. Peter Yates, the director of Bullet, would 
stage the shots from inside the car. Yeah. Instead of everything being outside in an exterior shot and you're just like you actually feel like a part of it. Like you're in either the front seat or the back seat mm-hmm. or like kind of right outside his window. Mm-hmm. You're you're there with it to experience it. You're part of the chase. You're yeah. not just watching a chase. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, which Walter Hill like went crazy with uh, on this. So Oh my god, yeah. Like it's uh, we'll get into those. But yeah. yeah, I could this is definitely without bullet you don't have the driver. Yeah. Yeah. Whatsoever. And he covers those shots like it feels like every part of the vehicle there's a shot yeah. of from inside every every angle and every, yeah. every exterior looking at it. Yep. And well, and like, you know, on both both bumpers, you know, facing out yeah. and facing forward or facing back, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's just uh it's and, you know, car chases are not easy to direct. No, like, not at all. Because you have to use those visual tricks for when you're going to cut to the next thing. So yeah. if, if, your brain has to make the connection without it really showing you, and they have to be quick. Yeah. Um, and, f- like, this keeps the tension going the whole time. And every, the, there's basically three, two big chases and one big, like, stunt yes. chase. Yeah. You know, driving sequence. And um, each one's so much fun. Yeah. The, then this like you don't hear about this movie or at least I never heard about this movie being ranking in the top you know top 10 movie car chases like mm-hmm. you always hear about bullet amazing mm-hmm. french connection amazing mm-hmm. i saw that one in the theater and that was like it's like a roller coaster mm-hmm. and i think that was the intention to like you know put you on edge and like you're you're right in the front of the car yeah uh ronin is another great one okay yeah so those are, you know, and there's plenty the, more. The Italian job. The Italian job, yeah. Mad Max, Fury Road. <laughs> yeah, or Road Warrior, too. Yeah. So Steve McQueen would have been the guy, you know. Yeah. You would count it, like, he would not be out of place here. Yeah, he had him in, in mind as the driver, for sure, as he sure. was writing this movie. Yeah. But fast forward 10 years from Bullet, and mm-hmm. or nine years, 1977, when they start working on this movie. Mm-hmm. McQueen is he's a little older. He had done a number of movies with with him driving. He loved to drive. Mm-hmm. Uh but he wanted to kind of switch shift gears a little bit with his <laughs> pun intended with uh his career. Yeah. He wanted to get into more comedies. Yeah. A lot slapstick of, comedies. Slapstick yeah. comedies pie in he the was, face. He was going for a more Marx Brothers <laughs> thing, would have been the next phase of <laughs> McQueen's career. Yeah. <laughs> his groucho face the, the Marx Brothers the... are back with McQueen <laughs> McQueen is groucho they're back to back on the cover <laughs> but he's got a gun yeah he's got a gun of course <laughs> um, no so he actually passed on the movie it was which, offered yeah and yeah, that makes sense yeah I was there when he passed on it it was it was awkward you were in the room I was in the room it was <laughs> yeah. uh Hot negotiations that day, but uh, it didn't work out. Well, so that's where we had to settle. Yeah, McQueen walked out, and Walter Hill took a a cup of coffee, smashed it right right at the door, right mm-hmm. when McQueen closed it. And then he said, "Get me Charles Bronson. <laughs> get, get me Bronson." Did he? Did he after? Did he go after uh, Bronson? Well, so he had just made hard times with Bronson, and it did get offered to him for as the driver or as. As the driver. Oh, wow. Okay, uh, yeah. But Bronson passed on it. Oh. He he had some heat with Walter Hill for how, I guess, how he treated his wife, Jill Ireland, on oh. uh, during the making of Hard Times. Mm-hmm. Not, like, personally treated her, but I think it, something happened in the edit where oh. she did not 
she did not look the way that Charles thought she should have looked. So, so he passes on the movie and, uh, there's a big, you know, casting. There's always a list of, uh, who the studio, which was Fox for this, Mm um, wanted in that spot. And Ryan O'Neill was always, was one of those guys who was always throughout the seventies, uh, was at the top of that list. I was at the top of many lists. He was almost Michael Corleone in The Godfather. He was? Yeah. Wow. Can you, can you believe that? That would have been... Ooh. Ooh. And that was one of the things that Coppola fought hard against. Oh, studio. Wisely. Studio was like, get, get Ryan O'Neill. They wanted Ryan thing. O'Neill, Robert Redford, Warren Beatty. Holy shit. As all those guys. Imagine them. <laughs> and all interesting actors. Oh, And sure. it wasn't like a comment on their talent. It no. was just... I mean, do look they at fit? Them. Do <laughs> they fit? Yeah, do they fit this movie? Yeah, you know. <laughs> um, so Ryan O'Neill was a TV star on Peyton Place throughout the '60s and became a star there. Switched over to movies, had uh, a number of. He had kind of a roller coaster career. Mm. He started in Love Story, What's Up Doc, Paper Moon, all of which were successful, and he got. You know Oscar nominations for some of those, and mm-hmm. and cemented him at at that A list star level. Mm-hmm. Then he did Barry Lyndon for Stanley Kubrick, which was an interesting choice and a movie that if you're a Kubrick, I, I haven't met a Kubrick fan that that does not like Barry Lyndon. Okay. But it's not a movie that's for everybody. It's mm-hmm. it's very long. It's very slow paced. It's beautiful and it's brilliant. But it's an art film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not for a mass audience. It's not entertaining. It's an entertainment-driven film. Sure. And part of what worked against it at the time was Ryan O'Neill. That Kubrick cast him. Let me preface this by saying I don't think Ryan O'Neill is the greatest actor in the world. Oh, okay. <laughs> Oh, all right. Already stirring the pot. Yeah. Controversial. He's, you know, he's he's good in certain things, but it's where he fits mm-hmm. with what his talents are. Mm-hmm. Kubrick saw him as being very flat and very uh, unemotional, mm-hmm. and that's what that's who Barry Lyndon was. That's mm-hmm. what why he cast him in that role. Mm-hmm. And that's something you have to understand when you watch the movie. And it and it, it's a brilliant choice by Kubrick. Mm-hmm. It didn't work for <laughs> for right. Ryan O'Neill. I mean, he got terrible reviews. Oh. He got you know bashed by everyone as like the worst actor. Oh wow! Um, so that worked really kind of counter into you know counteractive to his career. So, then so then he's word on the street is then Ryan O'Neill just can't carry can't carry it. Yeah, so it's kind of like he turned a corner there. Got it. Then he does a big ensemble movie called The Bridge Too Far, which mm-hmm. is a big, you know, World War II, yeah. Great Escape kind of movie with loaded with stars. Mm-hmm. Like anybody who was anybody in the seventies is it has like a small role in this movie. Sammy Davis Jr. Ex- yes, uh, all the Rat Pack, all the Rat Packs yeah. in this. Okay, <laughs> at the forefront. <laughs> no, but it's Sean Connery and Gene Hackman and Robert Redford and Ryan O'Neill and and yeah. just so many people. Yeah. Um, Ryan O'Neill also didn't quite fit in that movie either. He can't. Well, he can't keep up with those guys, right? No, that and it was it was it was apparent. 
Yeah. He, could, he couldn't go toe to toe with them. Got it. He's great. He was great in Love. He was great in those other movies, but mm-hmm. it just it was the right fit, and these other movies weren't. Mm-hmm. So he's coming off that for the driver. He's, I think he's. Everyone's hoping that it's a big successful film, mm-hmm. um, and he's got a, putting a lot of stock into it. Hmm. So let's circle back to after the movie comes out okay. a little bit later. Sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> after this commercial break. <laughs> We'll be right back <laughs> with this message from Pop-Tarts. <laughs> can we get Pop-Tarts to sponsor? Uh, yeah. But you know what? Can you? There's an, can you grab that intern? Just uh, throw a here, throw me... some, throw a stapler at them. Get, hey, Pop-Tarts. Oh, get, get Pop-Tarts on the phone. Kellogg's on the phone. Oh, Kellogg's, right. Yeah. Is that Kellogg's? Yeah. Get the Pop-Tarts company on the phone. <laughs> Call me. Get me the president of Pop-Tarts. President Pop-Tarts. <laughs> anyway, who else... Are we talking about his um, so cast? We, he went to Robert Mitchum as the for the detective. Mm. They shared a bottle of vodka together, and then Robert Mitchum passed. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> <laughs> All right. But it was a good bottle. He, he politely declined. declined. <laughs> um, and then he turned to Bruce Dern, which was uh, actually a brilliant choice. Yes. Bruce Dern is everywhere in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Bruce Dern is everywhere today. Yes. He shows up in such... Random things. He's, you know, great to see him in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. He's still, you know, he was in uh, Big Love on HBO all the way through. All right. He, oh, what was the black and white film he did a few years ago? With I just Nebra- played Nebraska. Nebraska. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. With Will Forte? Yeah. Uh, I have, I've been meaning to see that. And that's like a leading role. That's like Bruce Dern's movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but he still shows up, you know, in lots of, lots of films now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm looking at his IMDb. There's literally like eight credits a year for the last yeah. like 15 years. He's 125 years old. <laughs> yeah, he and he stop. works more than I do. <laughs> he's 83, in fact, yeah. if you can believe it. Yeah. Who could believe it? But he's in so many films and supporting roles through the uh, through the 70s. He's, mm-hmm. he's coming off of Silent Running, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, which is a great Peck and Paw film. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Great Gatsby. Uh, Hitchcock's last film, Family Plot, mm-hmm. and Coming Home, which is an amazing, moving post-Vietnam film. Oh shit! Uh, so all that's kind of like leading into the driver. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've also got Isabella Johnny, who's coming off of uh, the story of Adele H, and this is actually her first American film. Oh, I see. Of which she didn't do many, but okay. Yeah, uh, Ronnie Blakely, who we would later see in your favorite horror film. A Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. And let's not forget Matt Clark. Matt Clark. Matt Clark. Char- amazing character actor. Yeah. Uh, lots of Westerns. Mm-hmm. He's another guy who's, you would know his face for sure. Yeah. Love he, that guy. Lots of 70s, 80s, all the way through, what, Back to the Future 3? Yeah, I think he was in that one. It yeah. was one of the he's last like, like big movies, I uh-huh. think, that he was in. Yeah. And also, uh, his daughter's a co-worker of mine. So oh, wow. Shout out to Ami Clark. Well, his, Matt Clark's uh, character name, he's one of the three cops. Yes. You have Detective Bruce Dern, and then he's the Red Plains Closeman. And then there's the Gold Plains Closeman. Yes. Placed by uh, Felis, Felice Orlandi. Who was also in Bullet. Bullet, right. Yeah. How about that? It all circles back. He got all those Bullet folks. Um, they shot the film in the summer into the fall of 1977, all throughout L.A. They shot at 
Union Station is a big presence in this film. Yeah. Union Station is a beautiful location. Mm-hmm. It's it's been so many films and uh it, it just it, it's like a character. <laughs> like the city's the ca- a real character in our in my story. <laughs> yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Union Station? Well, the Union Station also talks. It has dialogue. <laughs> hey man. <laughs> Get on your train. <laughs> Trains pulling out, moving out. Um, the Weston Bonaventure is another location that's uh, you know seen in the film, mm-hmm. uh, and Torchy's Bar, the bar where yeah. where the detective confronts. Uh, he has a, there's a couple of scenes there in the in the film. Yeah, well, this is this is really weird. Like that that's one of the things about this. Like the detective does his business. With the two, with his two guys, they work out of this van. The they're obviously trying to get the driver. Yeah, they're in the midst of that, but they don't operate out of an office or anything. Like they they pull him in for questioning, and they they talk to him at the bar, and other criminal people meet at the bar. But also the cops hang out at the bar. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. <laughs> it's really well. It's really like it's a street film, like a lot of other Walter Hill films. It's, yeah, it's really like out there in the environment. Yeah. The, that, how else are you going to do your police work? You got to be out there in yeah. it, around everyone else. Yeah. It's it's really cool. Like they're not cops who work from their desk and do you know making a lot of phone calls. Like they're out there getting in people's faces and shaking them down, basically. Yeah, because I mean the detective isn't exactly by the book, so it's he's going to question a suspect. Yeah, but he's you know at the bar by himself. Like that's you know it's not an interrogation room at the station. Uh, well, and and he's a really interesting character because he's he feels like a villain to me. Yeah, well, the way I mean, he acts, he's, he's, he's setting up. You know, he's so obsessed with the driver. So, so let's just dial back for one second. Sure. The film starts with the driver um, picking up two thieves as they come out. You know, come out from a score, mm-hmm. and he's their getaway driver, mm-hmm. and it's a big chase with the police amazing chase sequence yeah and uh really like high octane (laughs) (laughs) excitement excitement um and bruce dern the the detective and his guys are you know listening through the cb and everything they're tracking what's happening Mm -hmm. and as the driver successfully gets away the detective is now obsessed with tracking him down and find out who this guy is. How could he slip through his fingers? And yeah, so he concocts this plot to trap the driver, and mm-hmm. that's the plot of the film that he's he's setting up another robbery mm-hmm. just so that he can be waiting in the wings and catch the driver. Yeah, catch the one guy. His justification is that you you get rid of the best driver in town, you get you. Uh, decrease the amount of crime happening or you get more callers because right. there's not any none of the wheelmen in town are as good as him yeah he's the so best he's the best one so it's kind of an underhanded thing that he's sure. he's allowing another you know fairly decent sized robbery to happen where you're putting innocent people in, yeah. in danger yeah well because we've seen we see these crooks and they they keep firing back toward the places they're robbing. So w- the detective finds what they call them glass. Glasses is the, the name of the, the main crook yeah. of this team. He basically catches them as part of uh, 
a, a robbery but you know they rob this place and then they uh, grow like a store like a market probably i don't know yeah. how much they're going to run off with but they blast through the windows and everything just to keep people at that they do it again on when they do the the, the setup robbery um and then of course his glasses turns on his partner because his partner is kind of a screw-up and uh we see that he doesn't like him and, yeah uh Nobody likes. Nobody actually likes each other in this movie. I don't think nobody so. likes anybody in this movie. I do think the detective r- respects the driver to a certain point. He doesn't like that he's a criminal, right? But, but he even says it. I think I, I respect anyone who's good at what they do, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, there's uh, definitely a, a respect. I don't know. If, I don't think the driver respects the detective. No, but... I think the driver hates himself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You don't know anything about him. You don't know why he does anything. Why he does. Why he lives this life. He's very angry. Yeah. What his code is. What it's not important. This is just what happens. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, now going back to the bar, to Torchy's bar. Yeah, Torchy's bar. That bar shows up in a few other Walter Hill movies, so you can kind of connect a Walter Hill universe. Oh my god! Oh my god! The Hilliverse, comparable to Marvel. I, Tarantino. That's good. Yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So you can loop, you know, forty-eight hours, another forty-eight hours, uh-huh. and Streets of Fire, all all into this same cinematic. The Hill Cinematic Universe. Right. The HCU. Hill. The HCU. <laughs> Everybody's talking about it. <laughs> Is Alien part of that? Sure. Which means also Blade Runner's part of oh, it? There's a deleted scene where the, where, where the crew of the Nostromo, before they go out, they're at Torchy's Bar. <laughs> yeah. so. in, in 21, yeah. 58. It's a little bit, you know, the yeah. drinks have like smoke coming out of it and stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> neon lights and... it's all it takes to make it futuristic there's a, a an alien woman with three boobs mm-hmm. just like in total recall yep that's why we see out in total that's recall. that bar that's that's <laughs> bar. they moved it from earth to mars to mars yeah <laughs> yeah torchies too Torchy. <laughs> it's like like when there's a there's a, a restaurant when you're in the airport kind mm-hmm. of thing you know oh yeah yeah so <laughs> pizzeria uno chain restaurant anyway i'm more of a sparrow guy Mm, sparrow Mm. always tastes like a wet bathroom (laughs) they like it i like a new york style pizza which is kind of what they want to emulate i feel like it's just like wet there's something there's something wrong with sparrow something (laughs) wrong (laughs) which is the title of my next book there's something wrong with sparrow which i hope to option (laughs) option that into a film I, I I think that could be amazing. I think it's going to be a series. The next one yeah. would be We Need to Talk About Sabaro. <laughs> and the third one, Must Love Sabaro. <laughs> the the Sabaro Cinematic oh, okay. Universe. <laughs> anyway. The SCU. <laughs> SCU. Um, one of the most uh, engaging parts of this movie is its style, though. Mm-hmm. This, you know, it's film noir. It's like film noir a detective movie and a Western kind of all mixed up and meshed into one thing. Yeah. It really becomes its own thing. It's got elements of all that, but yeah. it's its own thing. I, I like that. I like, I like how, again, it goes and how they keep it so simple in that. So straightforward with those, those genres are pretty straightforward, mm-hmm. you know, care can be. Yeah. Um, like no one changes clothes. They all wear the same outfits over a couple of days, mm-hmm. you know, it's like it's timeless or something like that. Yeah. These are just things that are happening. It's it's the world that Walter Hill set up in this movie is 
so different. It's such a different LA. It's so vacant, Mm -hmm. you know, like, like like it's at night. So there's not a lot of cars around, which we know (laughs) that's never a real LA. (laughs) LA is just traffic all the time. (laughs) Um, but even like in inside themselves, like these characters, they're all kind of one note. They're just they're, and I'm not saying that they're boring. No. I don't mean that. They no. just have like one direction. Mm-hmm. Not the band. Oh right, yeah, not the band, not the band. Okay, they are not a part of this movie. But uh, you know, they're they're just pointed in one direction and and really just about one thing. Mm-hmm. They're not. There is no. Like we said, there's no backstory. There's no emotional depth to these characters. Like they have, they're looking at something and they want it. Yeah. The detective wants the driver. The driver mm-hmm. wants his money. Mm-hmm. Um, the the only one you don't really know quite what they're up to is the player, which is Isabella yeah. Johnny. Yeah. That is she playing both sides, and you know, is she going out for the money, or does she is she kind of fascinated with the driver? Mm-hmm. Um, or is she, you know, is she really working for the detective? Hmm. You don't really know. Yeah. Right. She, yeah, she's this mysterious figure for everyone, mm-hmm. including the audience. And you never know whether it's because, I mean, at the end of the movie, she's the one that betrays them all and takes the money, right? Yeah. That's great. <laughs> I love that. Well, you're meant to, you're meant to believe that. Yeah. You don't know for sure. Right. Because at the end of the day, the driver and the detective neither have the money and thus, the detective can't catch, can't arrest the driver. Yes, and the driver has nothing. The uh, the the ballet dance continues. Yeah. between them, <laughs> <laughs> there's no satisfaction. But it gets better in the driver too. <laughs> back back to driving, uh, even more driving. But there, yeah. So things do get revealed about these guys. I mean, the driver is. He says he doesn't like guns. He doesn't like working. He won't work jobs where people are going to assassinate people or anything like that. He doesn't those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, so you're, and then that's so because he doesn't like guns, everyone assumes he he just he's just a driver. He he's not armed. He's you know he's just to do his job. And there's a nice little reveal where of course he carries a gun and he protects himself. Yeah. And uh, that was kind of a cool twist. I didn't expect that. It's a great scene, and it, and it's actually it's really. A really excellent shot of him when that reveal happens. Yeah, that you know they've done this. They've done the score, and now Teeth, who's the oh no, not Teeth, Glasses yeah. is, uh, you know the the guy who was basically working for the detective, yeah. kind of turns on him and is is going to kill him mm-hmm. and get away with the money before meeting up with the detective, mm-hmm. uh, kind of outsmarting everybody, and then this great shot of driver just like you don't even know he's pulled out a gun and he shoot blasts through his own win- window yeah and kills him and kills him yeah a big surprise for especially for glasses <laughs> he didn't know what hit him oh wow there's not a lot of another stylistic choice and keeping it simple there's not a lot of dialogue in this movie at all no i can't imagine what the shooting script is because it's got to be short <laughs> well he says i think a total of about 300 words Oh, the driver does. That's it. Wow. In the whole movie. Yikes. I just said 300 words in the last 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. You're a talker. Really, the only one who, who has dialogue is the detective. Well, yeah. He, he stands out because he, he's the guy. He, he yammers on in every scene. Yeah. I love it. Well, he's he's sort of has to kind of lay it out of what's really going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and Or at least what his intentions are and yeah. why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah. And he's pretty much like he's in control almost 
every time. I mean, he's mm-hmm. chasing the driver, but he's in command. He's got the power. He knows how to manipulate things his way. It's just that the driver is just a little too fast. And furious. And furious. <laughs> uh, but it's it's great character work for, I mean, Bruce Dern's fantastic in whatever he does, right? And giving him this sort of like tough guy kind of thing uh and and just arrogant and and confident yeah he's coming he's gonna he's gonna get his guy no matter what it takes and their two characters are are actually really similar with how obsessed they are with you know just that's a similarity between the two characters Mm -hmm. the detective is obsessed he can think of nothing else but getting the driver Mm -hmm. the driver is equally obsessed with uh Getting the money and getting rid of the guys who turned on him. Hmm. Okay, is he obsessed or is he just doing the job? Uh, I think he's. I think it's. I think he's obsessed with it. I think his obsession might just be his job. Yeah, but it's all kind of. It's all balled into one. Yeah, it's all the same. But these are. This could have been any any drive any job for him. Like when the detective comes to his apartment. And he's just sitting there, like, <laughs> yeah, fully dressed, uh-huh. just sitting, yep, not doing anything, no TV, right, not reading anything. Like how, like was he just was he like reading a newspaper and then he heard the driver approaching and he had to like make it look like he was just sitting there in silence, like I, I you know, it's all a character, yeah. <laughs> like what happened in the ten seconds before he walked in? So yeah, I mean, I can I kind of see what you're saying, but it, it, because everyone functions the way the characters are designed. The detective does his thing. The driver does his thing. I'd see. I could see more of the obsession with the detective, but I don't yeah. know about about the driver, who he calls cowboy, as being like obsessed with anything. Because he didn't even want to take the job, but it was it, it became too too good to pass up. Because mm-hmm. he doesn't let he he knew the glasses and that type of guy, and he only took the job because of the amount that he'd get paid. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, it could have gone straight. You know, he may, he probably didn't have to kill glasses if glasses just held up his end of the bargain. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, he's not out for it for that. He's, you know, doing it all for the money mm-hmm. and what he does with that money. We have no idea. Yeah. Um, there's a great scene where he has to prove himself when they're, when they want to hire him and they, yeah. he has to show them what, what he can do. And he, systematically dismantles this Mercedes. Yeah. In a, in an empty garage. Yeah. Just like piece by piece. It's amazing. Yeah. That's a uh, pretty fantastic driving. Well, it's just funny that no matter what vehicle he's in, he is an expert at it. He's a God at it. Um, yeah. You know, which is kind of weird. For the, even for the opening sequence, he, he steals a car. Yeah. So it's a car he's never driven before. Right. Which you would think they would want to feel comfortable and have, you know, yeah. at least a kind of vehicle that they, would would drive right right know? right it's uh but that's the thing we don't know what his experience is but even so how how much is he stunt driving all these types of vehicles you yeah know what I mean? yeah um so he is sort of elevated at like you believe he's the best not because anyone tells you but because he's proven it to us now twice yeah leading up to the th- you know the third final and chase yeah where he's got to get the key back to get that money i guess maybe the the chase then okay i can argue that there's the the obsession is there. The mm-hmm. money is the obsession, right? The thrill is secondary. Yes, I don't know if he's thrilled. I don't think he has a third. I think that's it. Okay, yeah, got it. <laughs> now let's. So this movie comes out, and it does not do well. 
Let's uh, talk box office for a second. Bo time. Box office and critic response. Okay. And then we're going to talk about what its real impact is after that. You got it. So the budget for the film is four million dollars, which is a fair amount. Yeah. For this kind of film, mm-hmm. uh, not a lot. Not a lot of actors in general, much less you know high paid uh, talent. It grossed worldwide, grand total, four point nine million. Four point nine. And that's Which means they didn't. I mean, they lost money on it. Yeah, it it costs money to ship these things overseas. Yeah, just any mar- any marketing, yeah. and like they they're in the <laughs> red. Yeah, uh, it was devastating for Walter Hill. Mm. That's like I said earlier. Had he not been in production, already in production on the Warriors, mm-hmm. he felt like his career would have been over. Got it. That this would have just destroyed it. Um, it made zero dollars in the states. If you look it up on where it ranks in Walter Hill's box office films, mm-hmm. it doesn't even rank. It's not even. But on it's the not list. considered. A th- <laughs> it's not even. It's not even. On, go to boxofficemojo.com. Uh, it's not even there. It's not even in that site. Wow, it doesn't well, exist. A lot of a lot of seventies movies that don't make a lot of money are earning. Right, right. But, right. Yeah. That's true. But yeah. But still, it's um, you know, it's not not good for him. Uh, both Ryan and Ryan O'Neill and Isabella Johnny both regretted doing the movie and wish they hadn't done it. Even uh, I think even today they wish they hadn't. Yeah. Um, it continued that negative uh, criticism of Ryan O'Neill. It pushed it even harder. Oh wow! So then his career, you know, especially his stardom was in the '60s and into the early '70s. By the '80s, he wasn't really considered a leading man anymore. And he wasn't, uh, he had developed a serious drug problem. Mm-hmm. He had um, major issues with his children that go all the way through even to a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah, um, okay. There's big time drama. Uh, we love Tatum O'Neill too. We talked about her in our Bad News Bears episode and mm-hmm. we mentioned a story there. Yeah. Uh, we'll kind of steer clear of the dark side of Ryan O'Neill. Yeah, but, that's not uh, really... This was this was a kind of leading into that time period for him. Mm-hmm. Um, Isabella Johnny felt like her because of this movie, she would never be able to get her American film career going. Mm-hmm. That this just was going to kill that as well. Uh, when <laughs> so this is uh, oh I mentioned it came out July twenty eighth, nineteen seventy eight, same day as Animal House, right. which was a huge huge hit. Mm-hmm. This was the opposite direction. Um, I had seen this ranking as number 33 of 1978. Oh. I'm surprised it's even that high, box office-wise. Box office-wise. Yeah. It wasn't a lot of money back then. No. The, there was. It's not like there was a bunch of $100 million movies. It's usually... That's true. It was like yeah. two, maybe. Yeah. We'd go to over 100. The critical reviews were all super negative. Ooh. Everyone ripped on it. Everyone hated the movie. Um they appreciated the car chase sequences that those were well done, mm-hmm. but they didn't uh, like, they didn't like the characters. They didn't like the acting. They didn't like Hill's direction. Um, all negative. The, one of the Fox executives called Walter Hill into his office and handed him a stack of reviews. That's like the size of a phone book. Mm-hmm. And he said, in all those reviews, there was one positive review. Whoa. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I get it though, because people want to see, characters as people like these are these are auto, autonomous 
automatons. Automatons. Atom. Thank you. Uh, they're doing their function. You know, I can understand. In the '70s, you're getting all these great character pieces, and you're you're moving toward uh, caring about who's on that screen. And then you've got you know people with clear motivation, not clear motivations, but clear uh, defined paths, mm-hmm. but no reason for any of it. And that could be tedious for for certain audiences, you know. Yeah. I, I can understand why at the time, not really well received. Well, and this is different than Bullet and the Getaway. Yeah. Um, in that those movies, there were morals. You know, McQueen. Uh, a, it's Steve McQueen. B, mm-hmm. his character has morals in those, and and is is mm-hmm. trying to get out or you know solve a crime. Like there's there's a means to there's you know a means to an end. Yeah. Um, this just doesn't have that. Yeah, you don't have any reason to like characters at all because they're not people. Yeah, I mean the the most person you have is probably the detective. Yeah, and just in terms of all and he's an asshole. Things. Yeah, he's clearly an asshole. He's clearly about his job and justice, and you know, and I, I mean, yeah, I don't want him to succeed. I want the I want to see him fail more than I want to see the driver succeed. Yeah, because yeah. I don't I don't necessarily care about the driver all that much either. Uh, yeah, I get do, it. Yeah, I, I kind of, but I, I, but I, it's like, ah, oh, f that cop. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want him to win. He's a jerk. Yeah, <laughs> but everyone else is sort of doing their own thing, and I don't know. It was tough to watch the the connection, mm-hmm. uh, deal with that the the the, the thief. Um, I forget the teeth. Was it when teeth? he executes her? He executes her after he she gave him the information he needed. Yeah, and what a what a jerk. And. and- <laughs> And it's kind of a torturous scene in that, yeah. you know, he really drags out the fact that he's going to kill her. Yeah. And. It's hard to watch. Yeah. Be- it's a tough scene. Like, yeah. Living in the moment, the final moments of a character on screen, but just dragging it out, not knowing what's going to happen. For me, it was like, I wasn't, I didn't know it was going to happen. And I, I assumed the longer they dragged it out, the more likely she'd survive. Mm-hmm. But no, she <laughs> he ends her, and it's like, oh no, like that was torture. Well, she's got her code. Yeah. We don't see her very much in the film. She's only in a few scenes. But yeah. she's the one who sets up the driver's jobs. Yeah, and she's got her code where you know she says, "I'm not going to die for you. Right. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch out for myself." Yeah, and she holds that, and that she. You know, for a minute, she, def- you know, is protecting him when confronted by uh, teeth. Yeah. And then she gives in and tells him tells him where he's at and what he's doing. And and then he kills her anyway. Yeah. And it's that moment of, like, you just, it's sad. Yeah, yeah, it's just sad, yeah. the, that thing. I mean, these are all crooks and stuff, but no, I mean, people don't deserve to die for, like, stealing money and stuff. So, but it's... Uh, yeah, you root for these, you know, the bad guys only because the good guys are kind of terrible. Yeah, you know what I mean. And I wonder if, you know, I think part of it is this coming out after Star Wars. You know, Star Wars changed audiences' expectations and for action and action movies, which is this is an action movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a 70, 60s, 70s version of it, but mm-hmm. this is kind of an older style of an action movie. Yeah. Um, I wonder if McQueen had done it or if a Clint Eastwood had been in it, mm. how the movie would have done. Right. Someone a little heavier than heavier and much more well-established as a yeah. strong box office lead. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah, we'll never know. Even but. if like the dialogue wasn't any different, if it was just that casting move, I wonder what would have mm. what would have happened. Right. Yeah, because like, would you just like the driver more because it, it, the charisma of Clint Eastwood? Right. You know, like, yeah. Exactly. Like I and and everything he carries with him into that movie. The charm. I mean, charm has a lot of weight for a star. Yeah. You know, because you like them, like a Tom Hanks. Like a Tom Hanks, yeah. I mean, he's he's heavy on the charm. <laughs> yeah, very know? charming. Very nice man. It's hard to dislike him, uh-huh. you know. And he hasn't often played those kind of characters. But Harrison Ford, you know, like, uh-huh. you just like them. Right. Without knowing anything about them. Yeah. You're just sort of like, yep. I'm yeah. Like, this, is, this guy's got the it. So 1978 comes to a close, and this movie is dead and buried and no one wants to talk about it or think about it ever again Mm -hmm. and the chapter closes Mm -hmm. but along comes a new audience of of youngsters who Mm -hmm. as they get into the into the 1990s and getting through their teenage years the movie starts to get rediscovered by guys like you me (laughs) Quentin Tarantino. Oh, right, right. The two of us watched it together <laughs> with Edgar Wright. Right. He came over after yep. school. It you, was, Edgar, and Quentin. Yeah. Quentin and... made the popcorn, and <laughs> Edgar brought the beer. And uh... Oh, you rascals. No, but, uh, you know, young up-and-coming directors, and even already established directors like Michael Mann, you can see the influence. Yeah. You can see this movie in theirs. Mm-hmm. I mean, so much of... I could see Thief and this are closely related. Yeah. And Thief came out in 1981. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and Thief grittier than this one. Thief grittier. Thief yes. belongs in the 70s, yeah. I think. Yeah. I don't it's know. a 70s movie. It's a 70s yeah. movie. Um, Tarantino, you know, again, said that he loved this movie. The shot in Pulp Fiction where Vincent Vega is driving that, you know, his... Uh, I forget what kind of car it was, but where he like screeches around a corner is like a shot for shot thing from oh. this movie. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, with Uma Thurman in the car, and uh, Edgar Wright made Baby Driver, which yeah. was a complete it's a homage, yeah. redo of this movie. Yeah, the Wheelman. Well, because like, and I'm reading about it, like how you know we have your bullet and all that, and the, a lot of those other movies where there's car chases, but this was. This is the movie that established like the wheelman as a character in terms of yeah being the best at what he does and and serving sort of um, this is like the, what the job is or, I guess yeah or, this this is the movie that established the getaway driver as a character yeah as a viable lead character yeah like yeah your protagonist mm-hmm. throughout so yeah I mean regardless of your feelings about it like Baby Driver feels like definitely this doesn't exist without the driver for sure like you could have bullet but if the driver doesn't exist baby yeah because the wheelman is a young you know a young guy but and that and that's a movie that's flooded with lots of character stuff mm-hmm. things that supposedly you know supposed to draw you in and like the characters and all that and it's very stylized it's very, very video gamey mm, baby driver i don't Would know you the, say? The, i think all the chases are really well done. oh yeah absolutely yeah but, um 
They're re- they're really well done. I mean, it, it's gorgeous. I have some issues with some of the characters and some of the dialogue, but I appreciate the yeah. the car sequences for sure. Well, and then to do it stylistically, to set it to music to a very specific soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I mean that that just makes it sing. I love that. Literally, I love it. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Baby Driver. I totally acknowledge a lot of like the like Spacey's character in it doesn't make sense in the third act. Yeah, John Hamm's John character Hamm was. I love John Hamm, but that character is atrocious. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. But the it, you can almost you know you could argue that it's such a hyper realistic mm-hmm. thing that you know yeah they're supposed to be like but I think you're right like they're just not quite. Uh, but I like the rest of Baby Driver. I don't. Yeah, I know. I, I agree. Can, you yeah. know what I mean? Baby Driver is like the driver on like PCP. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and I, I may note as I'm watching the driver, like when you're following it, and it, it the only sound you hear are it's the it's the engines and the tires, and the screeching through town and all mm-hmm. that, and and it's loud and it's in your face. It's so well done. Like that foley is just beautiful. Yeah. And um, it's quiet and you're just like you're not seeing any re- reaction on his face while he's driving. I think he he is perfect as the wheelman to, uh, you know, not have any emotion while he's like speeding around. Yeah. And changing, he's all shifting business. gears and doing his thing. It's kind of like when he's not driving that he's less interesting. <laughs> because, That's true. You know, he's I mean? just sitting around in a room, like literally staring. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, obviously, another film, Baby Driver and Drive, are the two major modern films that are clearly influenced by this. Oh yeah, Drive too. Yeah, uh, Drive is Nicholas Windig. How do you pronounce his name? Nicholas Windig Riefen. Yep. Um, I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, that's it. He at first denied it had anything to do with the driver mm-hmm. but please watch the opening sequence of drive and then this movie and tell me if one has to do with the other right right yeah um i mean it's a complete remake of the opening from the driver mm-hmm. and and you know that 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 character is so similar as well mm-hmm. stoic and yeah quiet he's a little he's got a little more going on yeah, in yeah. drive yeah i love drive it's uh i mean it's it's like a up very high up there for me. Mm. I love I love Drive probably as much as you love Baby Driver. Okay. I mean, I don't know if Baby Driver is one of my top. All right, fifty more than top fifty. Drive, Drive. Yeah, I'd probably put it in top fifty. Top fifty. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'm a big fan of it. Okay. Uh, love almost everything about it. So. I, I've never done the math. Top 75 for Baby Driver for me. Okay. So let's just do that. Top 63. <laughs> yeah. Not saying where. <laughs> it could be number two. <laughs> or it could be 62. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, well, but... Uh, also, they don't wear seatbelts in this movie at all. No. It is you didn't hor- have to, then. horrifying <laughs> to watch. I'm like, you, oh, gosh. Yeah. They, they're like slamming around in the car. As yeah. they're making this, I'm like, oh, I'm so scared for you. <laughs> And I have a I have a theory of uh, a relationship between some some cinematic characters. So I have a theory that I'll, I'll I'll bring this back up when we hit some of these other films. But now that I know it's not true because obviously they have different character names. But I feel like the driver from Drive 
Robert De Niro from Heat mm-hmm. and uh, James Caan's character from Thief are all essentially the same character. And I think you could also fit uh, the driver in there as well. Mm-hmm. That you could buy that those are those characters. This is like a, a history of through this character's life. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You know, you can track him from Drive and because of the events in that movie, he has turned off any kind of emotional side to himself mm-hmm. and that he's become the driver leading into Thief, mm-hmm. which his character has the same code as Robert De Niro's does in Heat. Right. And that, huh. that's like a life path for this guy. That those in in there's a world where these this could all be the same character. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I, it's obviously it is not true. They are different characters. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But the idea you of, could watch it and think of it that way, and I think like you can link all those movies. Yeah, it's a different version, different like uh, time of uh, that of that type of character's life. So yeah, like you can, they're in the same family for sure. Cut yeah, in the same cloth. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you got to start somewhere, and if that baseline is what you see. Uh, in the driver, let's say, uh, then, yeah, you you just you just shift it a little bit, yeah. put them, take some things away, add a little bit of spice, yeah. and then you see a growth, an evolution. Yeah, that's right. a, that's a brilliant way to put it together. I never. Thought I mean, of that. and they all have that ability to turn off and disconnect from everything and walk away mm-hmm. from a life at any moment mm-hmm. to escape, you know, prison or whatever their situation is. Mm-hmm. So. Hmm. Yeah. So next time, next time everybody watches the, any of those movies, think about that and see if that. It, let me know. Tweet it. Tweet at us and uh, tell us if you think that that theory holds water or not. Yeah, or just send us a letter. To, Snail mail. Uh, yeah, the address is. It's on the website probably. Yeah. I don't know. Just, I haven't updated the website in years. You actually don't. You don't need to. Everybody knows where Recon Cinema Studios is. Yeah. You don't. It, you, there is no address. It's like Santa Claus at the North Pole. Right. You don't have to. Put it to Recon Cinema Studios, put it in the mailbox, mail mail person. They'll get it there. They'll get it there. Yeah. (laughs) I get we get we get stacks and stacks of them every day. Every day the fan mail comes in, the the children's letters Mm -hmm. to us. Because we're basically Santa Claus too. Yeah. The sequel to Santa Claus. The the Santa Claus. They're asking for all these kids are asking for the best movies Mm -hmm. just to, to appear in their chimney. Yeah. So or just a, a link to our newest episode. <laughs> Please send me a link. <laughs> Dear Santa David. Yeah. Please send me a link to new episode. To new episode. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, tweet us or say anything what you think about the driver. I need to come up with I need to come up with a name for that theory. Um what are the names? Let's see. Thief, Heat, Drive, Drive. Driver. Driver. The driver, so no, there's nothing. The there. driver heat thief drive theory. Oh, <laughs> drive the heat thief. Drive the heat thief. Drive driver. the heat thief. Driver, comma driver. So it's yeah. Question mark. The heat thief <laughs> is a car. Yeah, and it's a, uh, hey, drive the heat thief driver theory. I'm, I'm, yes, it's got my vote. <laughs> okay, great. Rolls off the tongue. <laughs> Drive the heat thief, comma, driver, question mark? It's the, um, it's the, it's the driver unification theory. The, that's what you, there. Driver is. unification theory. Yeah. That's the, 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 the John D- Diner driver unification 
theory. The DUT. The DUT. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We've we've let's the DUT them. and the HCU. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Contrary to the MCU. Right. And the TCU. TCU. Yeah. What was the TCU again? Tarantino. That's right. Yeah, universe. Yeah. Yes. 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 Sure, what this could fit in there too. Mm-hmm. These could all fit in with mm-hmm. Quentin. Sure, Put it in should there. we call him? Should we? I, I don't feel like dealing, I'm just, dealing I, with I'm him just gonna today. text him. He'll, yeah, I don't want to get he's him. He's picking up. Oh, he's picking up popcorn. We're gonna watch. Oh. Uh, he's gonna surprise me. Is he bringing a film? Yeah, he's it's gonna be on. He's bringing the film cans yeah. over here to the studio. I was gonna right say, now. now we gotta go into the projector room. Yeah, I gotta say, I like the digital projection that we have, but. I mean, it's kind of cool seeing stuff on 35. 35 is the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Um, shout out to the new Beverly. Because uh, okay. if you're going to check out Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, check it out at that theater yeah. on film, Quentin's Theater, if you can get tickets. Yeah, good luck. Uh, this month has been all sold out. <laughs> yeah. The month <laughs> of August has been rough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, the driver had a long term, had a much longer shelf life than anyone realized mm-hmm. and a much bigger impact down the road, mm-hmm. um, which which is can happen with a lot of these films that we look at that mm-hmm. that don't make an impact at the time or they're ahead of their, you know, ahead of uh, when they should have come out or been yeah. made. Um, and this is one of those that yeah. had a really big influence and even... We haven't talked about it, but video games. Oh, sure. Like, come from car video games, like, come from this movie. Yeah, very specifically. Yeah. Uh, I don't play any of those. Never did. But I get it. I mean, if you look at the Spy Hunter Nintendo game. (laughs) Spy Hunter. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, but especially as it got into the, you know, the criminal driving games grand theft auto grand theft auto sure. you know those kind of games yeah yeah, yeah. that uh, there's major major callback to this film i think there are game series called driver there is yeah yeah and yeah. it's i'm sure quite influenced by this yeah so it's like driver's son maybe oh i don't know maybe i, I don't, don't know. i don't think there's a that's a question are mark. you adding that to your unification theory <laughs> Throw it in. All right. Throw it yeah, in. There you go. <laughs> Check it out in the DUT. Um, I feel like I'm starting to feel like Mulder. What, you see conspiracy everywhere? Yeah. For what? I don't know. <laughs> Everything. Okay. I mean, you do wear that suit that looks a lot like I do. Yeah. Dave Duchovny's suit. My suits. hair is also exactly like his. Yeah. Season season two, Duchovny yeah. hair. Yeah, yeah. Every year you change it to the next season. Of the haircut. Yes, I so you've cycled. You've it. been cycling mm-hmm. through. Yeah, since since 1993. Yeah, that's you know me very well. Uh-huh. I get um, you, man. I get you. <laughs> the uh, where does this rank? Now you probably haven't seen all of, all of Walter Hill's films. But definitely not. I'm curious what you guys out there think. Is it his best film? Whoa! Dare I say that? Where do you where do you come? I down? put it pretty high up there. Yeah, I think entertainment wise, I hold Forty Eight Hours pretty high. Oh yeah, Forty Eight Hours is pretty great. Forty Eight Hours is really fun. You got a you know Eddie Murphy at the right time of his career. Mm-hmm. Nick Nolte is the tough guy cop. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's another street film. Like they're out there mm-hmm. driving around, banging down doors, punching people. Yeah, you know, punching each other. Sure. 
Uh, calling each other names. Warrior, The Warriors is yeah. a great film too. That's probably my number. I got to think about how I'm going to rank these, but 48 Hours, Warriors, and The Driver definitely top three Walter Hill films. They're all, they're at the the top of the uh, the pyramid for yeah. you. Yeah, they might move around a little bit. He kind depending of depending on your mood. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then another 48 Hours and Red Heat. Red Heat. Red Heat. <laughs> Not as good as it was in 1989. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I think I think it's uh, arguably his best film. Cool. Um, yeah. It's really engaging. I think if you haven't seen it, which I'm guessing a lot of you out there have not, maybe you've heard of it, maybe you know of it, but give it a try. Give it a shot. Yeah. I like it. Go check out your local video store. Rent it, a hard copy disc. Mm-hmm. And uh, watch the widescreen side. There's two sides of the DVD. I accidentally didn't know that and watched the full screen version. So I didn't actually see the whole movie. Technically, I saw I saw a square of it. I'm missing like a whole third of the movie. And this is the last time I'm going to talk to you ever again. (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) Guys, just be careful. Widescreen and full screen. Dangerous, dangerous stuff. Yeah. You always got to be watch out for that on those those tricky DVDs. They're they're very difficult. <laughs> I didn't see any writing on the other side, and I didn't read the writing that was on the other side. Didn't read the writing on the wall. Terrible, it's right there. I'm a bad person. Uh, so, I love the film. I uh, I will continue to watch it. I'm glad I you know came across it again, and yeah. uh, and and I think Walter Hill is also happy that he's kind of. Gets to end this with a with a good on a good note with this film mm-hmm. instead of it being collecting dust and forgotten in some closet that it's now appreciated and and it's usually you know like one of the first films that they screen when they have like Walter Hill you know um, um, like uh, marathons marathons yeah like this they usually start it with this oh neat yeah yeah that's a great way to start yeah yeah. It pumps you up for the rest. And if you haven't, I'll check out his other films that we mentioned before. Yeah. Warriors pair, pairs well with this. Yeah. It's definitely in the same vein. Very so. cool. Warriors and Gremlins as well. And Gremlins, yeah. <laughs> Warriors goes with everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, that's uh, that's our show for this week. I think, uh, Is that it? Yeah. Yeah, I we mean. Should, yeah. Don't, don't forget to uh, check us out on our social media. That's uh, at Reconsidimation Podcast on on FaceTime and Timebook oh and God. Friendster. God damn it. Just get through it. I, I'm i not mad at you. I'm mad that we have to do this every episode. Well, we're, we're catching fire. That's how we get out there. Uh, no, check us out on, on iTunes. Give us a five-star rating and a review. It helps the show. Please. It promotes the show. Please. Uh, and uh, check out our friends, Curtis Moore. Thank you for the poster. Thank and you. And E.K. Wimmer on Instagram. Uh, Laser Graves. Great podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Great guy. Great show. Uh, anyway, we will be back in a few weeks. We are uh, Next time you hear from us. We're going to be heading uh, back to school. Oh, are we doing back to school again? We're going to do that again. No. <laughs> There's another hot no, take the for su- us? We're, when the summer's kind of coming to a close and mm-hmm. and uh, school's right around the corner. So we might have to might have to think of something along those lines. Okay. Yeah. I'm in. Um, all right, guys. Well, we will see you in a couple of weeks. And bye now. I don't like that. Don't use that. I love that.
Why? Because it's funny. <laughs> That's not how I talk. Then, you just say bye now. It's boring. The music's there. Not this episode. God damn it.